Oh, come on. I appreciate y'all. Is anybody excited to be in chapel today? Some of you lied right there because I remember those days. But I'll tell you what, y'all don't play on Friday. I'm going to say, like, straight up, I've never been in a college chapel on a Friday, and that blew me away. Uh, thank you, Pastor Josh. Thank you, President. Appreciate you guys so much and your leadership. Um, also appreciate you having a podium that fits a short guy. Um, God made me five foot nine, and so I appreciate you. I obviously know they have a higher podium for you, Pastor Josh, but I'm excited to use this one today. Um, man, what a word from my wife. What a moment of worship. Um, you ever wonder what heaven would look like? You ever wonder what heaven would sound like? I think we just experienced it. Like scripture says, that's what we're going to do forever. And we just did it. And sometimes we're like, that's the prequel to the other thing, right? So like we're in worship, we're like, oh yeah, and they're, they're onto the chorus again and to the bridge and now they're done. And so now we can do the message and now we can go to class and lunch and amen, right? But it's like, wait a minute, that's what we're going to do forever is that we're going to cry holy because when we truly see God face to face, when we truly experience the fullness of he is, all that we'll be able to say is, okay, sorry. So some of y'all were here yesterday and the way I grew up in church is when the pastor stops speaking, you get to start speaking. So, okay, so let's try it again. It's a little bit like, okay, you ready? Um, one day we're going to see God face to face and all we'll be able to say is, oh, we're going to have church now. Okay. I want to do this. I want to go to a similar text that I taught on yesterday just for a moment. It's in the second half of the scripture in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, John 10, 10. It says this, it says that the thief came to steal, kill, and yeah, we're getting ready. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life to the, to the full. Now, this is interesting because when you break down this word full, it means extraordinary. How many of you in the room would love an extraordinary life? Okay, we asked it yesterday. Some of y'all are like, I don't know. Okay, well, I want to have an extraordinary, a, a superior, a better than I thought was possible life, right? Now, look, you're looking at a guy who grew up trailer trash, poverty, poor. I found myself homeless at 17. Like, I have experienced what it's like to have an ordinary life, and I would rather have an extraordinary life. An extraordinary life is not meaning just material things. It's meaning a fulfillment in my purpose, my calling, my design, who God made, shaped, and called me to be. That's what I want, a life to the full. Now, what's interesting is in the same way, Satan has a, a strategy to steal, kill, and destroy. Have you ever thought about what it looks like to steal, though? Have you ever thought about that? Like, Stealing for the person who's the victim of it happens in a moment, right? If you get pickpocketed, it was like, boom, they bumped into you. It's like 2.7 seconds. Your wallet is gone. Your AirPods are gone. Your, your life is ruined. You don't know what you're going to do. You got to cancel your credit cards. Some of y'all, your mom's credit cards. Like you got you to gotta handle all your business, right? It happened in a moment. But to the thief, it's been happening. Because the strategy took a long time. They were waiting for the victim to be weak to steal. I want to talk to you just for a moment today what it looks like to be killed by comfort, to be killed by comfort. Comfort is one of the strategies that the enemy actually uses to rob followers of Jesus or Jesus people of their purpose. See, we think that comfort is peace. In the church, if I'm not careful, especially following COVID, as a Jesus person, I can go, man, things finally feel good. And in that place, I become 
comfortable. But peace and comfort are not the same thing. See, peace can exist in the middle of chaos. Jesus can experience peace in the midst of a storm, winds and waves, and he can still have peace. Comfort's different. Comfort is an indication of my surroundings or my circumstances. We just moved to Denver, Colorado back in July. When we got ready to move, I told my wife, I said, hey, look, I have one non-negotiable. She said, you got a what? I said, I have one request that I would like to submit to you, my, my love, my heart. Um, please don't hurt me, you know? And she's like, okay, what is it? What, what is the, the one thing? I was like, babe, I, we need a new mattress. Like, we have had the same mattress since we got married 14 years ago. Like, when you get out of the bed to go pee in the middle of the night, it, boom, it wakes me up. Like, I can't handle it anymore. If you roll over, it shakes and tremors like it's an earthquake in our bedroom. I just need a new mattress. She's like, okay, babe, fine, order one. I go, no, 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 I don't want to order one. I want to go to the mall and shop for one. Y'all are like, man, you old. Yeah. Like, I'm at the age where you wake up and your shoulder hurts, and you're like, it's from sleeping, right? <laughs> so I decided, okay, we're going to go to the mall. We go to the mall, straight up. I go in. I find me this, this mattress store, right? I find a mattress store. I go in. I say, hey, I'm here to try them on. Like, you're here to what? I'm like, I'm here to try them on. And I laid in the first mattress. I was like, that was too hard. I laid in the second mattress. It was too soft. It's like the three bears, right? I'm laying in them. I'm trying to figure it out. I found this one bed that's built for pastors. I'm telling you, I call it the Easter bed because you lay in it and die. You press a button and you rise from the dead. It's amazing. She told me I couldn't afford that one, right? I found myself so drawn to comfort. Comfort's a great place to lay. It's a horrible place to live. And if we as believers aren't careful, if you're a Jesus person, you'll be so drawn to comfort that you'll start thinking that's the life you were called to live. You'll get to the end of life and you'll think, whoo, done. But because you went, whoo, done, you won't hear, well done. Well done means I'm going to live a life that's uncomfortable. See, Jesus he exemplified this in the area of relationships. If there's one thing, I'm not unfamiliar to your setting. I spent two years at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, and I realized that one of the benefits or strengths can become a weakness in your environment. And it's this, you're surrounded by a lot of Jesus people. And it would be easy to get comfortable in your relationships and go, man, this is great. I never want to leave this. I always want to be around Jesus people. This is phenomenal. Except Jesus, the first Jesus people, didn't surround himself with Jesus people. In Scripture, if we're not careful, we'll think that he had to come up from Bethlehem in a stable. No, no, no. Never begin the story of Jesus' life from Bethlehem because that's not where it started. He started as a king in heavenly places, sitting on a throne. He left majesty and royalty, debased himself and came to this earth. And live like us, look like us. That was important for us to recognize that he lived uncomfortable. Scripture would say in the second half of Scripture in the Gospel of Luke, it said this. It said that Jesus one day was eating with sinners and tax collectors, right? Sinners and tax collectors. They said, here is a glutton, a drunkard, and a Friend of tax collectors and sinners. You and I read that and we're like, oh, he had friends in the IRS. Okay, like my mom is an accountant. I kind of understand. No, no, no. Tax collectors in that day and time 
weren't just oppressing people, weren't just like working on taxes, it would have likely been a Jewish person who would have acted on behalf of the Roman Empire who would have oppressed their own people more to pat a little bit more in their own pocket. These were the notorious, the worst of the worst, the criminals of the day and sinners. And Jesus was a friend of them. He was surrounded by them. See, for those of us who have already become Jesus people, we go, man, that's awesome. I'm so thankful that he, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Amen. But if I'm not careful, I forget he didn't just live a life that I could look at. He lived a life to exemplify and model what I was supposed to do here and now. How many of you in the room, you're, you're ministry majors? All right. I think you're wrong. I want to go to the second half of Scripture. I'm going to read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, and verse number 16. Then 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, Only the people who have decided to go into full-time vocational ministry, pastors, kids pastors, worship leaders, youth pastors, disciple makers, group pastors, creative directors, band musicians, productive, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. And therefore you, the special elect, the ones who have solidified that this will be your vocational ministry, you go and make disciples of all nations. Is that, is that what the Bible said? Oh, listen. Is that what the Bible said? All right, I want you to check yourself before you, yeah, you wreck your life. If you're not careful, you go, I'm not a ministry major. If you are a Jesus person, you are a ministry major. I don't care if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a teacher, a welder. Why? It's not the great suggestion. Oh, this is the verse. We pull it out once a year and we call it the great commission. But Jesus people live as it's the greatest option that we've been presented with. The first thing Jesus tells them before he leaves is to go and make disciples. And somehow it's the last thing that Christians do today. I will go, oh, when I get around to it. Some some of you, listen, I remember being in chapels. Pastor James, I'll do that when I graduate, when I get a job, when I figure out the community I'm going to live in. And then all over time, through relational equity and friendship in my community, after making lots of deposits, then I'll ask them, where the relationship was with Jesus. You're asking like, like you're selling them Avon or you're like selling them an NFT or something. Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm giving you the greatest gift that has ever been given to humanity, Jesus Christ. Like, like we just got two puppies. Like, hard transition. Okay. We've got two puppies. One of them's named Kobe. One of them's named Shakira. Because when she eats her food, she, her hips don't lie, all right? But we got Kobe and Shaq, I'm a Lakers fan, all right? Now, what's interesting about this is I tell people about Shakira, Shaq, the newest puppy, and I will take my phone out, take my phone out, and I will show them a picture of Shaq. Here's what I do. I go, here's a picture of Shaq, and they go, you didn't even see a picture. You just awed at an invisible picture. You're like, oh, that's amazing. Why? Because you knew I love Shaq. I didn't have to disclaim, I, I, I got a puppy. I hope this doesn't offend you. If you're a cat person, I just want to apologize if you love cats and I love dogs. And we can both be friends. Even if you love different animals than I do, it's okay. No, all I did was present something I loved. And because you have a little bit of relational tie to me, you love what I love. 
Jesus said, go and make disciples. He wasn't saying go and do this hard task. He said, so I've loved you. I've made you my disciple. No, go and give the gift I gave you. Many of us, if we're not careful, we're waiting till after this place. Can I tell you right now, you are building habits, relational patterns, and procedures that you will live into for the next 10 years of your life. You think magically you're going to get a job and you're going to go to bed on time? Nope. <laughs> magically, you're going to get a job and you're going to show up on time? Nope. Magically, one day you're going to wake up and you're going to learn to build a calendar? No, we are building right now not just your intellectual mind, but the patterns of your spiritual formation. If I'm not careful, I'll go Monday through Friday to chapel. Forgive me and I apologize and I submit to correction after this. But chapel ain't church. This is a service to spiritually form you. But the, week, the, the church, the week, you should be involved and planted in a local church. And if you have tension with that, if you're going, oh, man, but you don't understand, like, church today and church is unhealthy. And church, church is the best thing that God ever gave us second to Jesus. You kill the local church today across the globe, we stop feeding hungry people. We stop housing homeless people. It is the greatest social effort in humanity today. People want to look at all the bad and blemish of the church. I'm not saying it's perfect because humans are involved, but it's the greatest gift that God gave. We have to be involved. So I'm, I'm asking you today, will you choose a life that's a little bit uncomfortable? That was my intro. So I want to go. I want to go. I'm going to have you out by lunch, I promise. I want to go to the Gospel of Luke. It says in Luke chapter 15 and verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The people who thought they knew the most about God missed God. No, in this environment, pause for a moment. The people who thought they knew the most about God, theologically and intellectual understanding, were missing a relational invitation. So what does Jesus do? In the very next verse, it says, so Jesus told them a parable. A parable is a truth that is so deep and profound that Jesus needed to tell it in story form so humans could understand it, not just in their mind, but receive it as a seed to their soul. I want to give you three points today that I think will call you into the uncomfortable. Number one is this. you got to care to count. Care to Oh, come on. Now, you was preaching earlier. Don't get offended at me because I told you you got to go to church on Sunday. And you're like, I've been in church Monday through Friday, and we can talk about it later. I'll stay, I'll stay after. Care to count. And Jesus gives them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country to go and find the one? How many of you go, amen, I would do that? Dude, I love a lot of honest people, some liars. Okay, here's why. Because I guarantee you right now, if you get an 89 on a test tomorrow, you go, thank you, Jesus. I got 89. I'm not even worried about the 24 other points. I'm from Alabama originally. Math is difficult. No. I'm not even worried. You thank God when you get a little bit. Most of us would thank God for 90. We'd be like, I got 90 sheep. That's great. My son Braxton, he is so excited. Like, he will let me know. He's like, Dad. I, I got like seventh on Fortnite. 
Awesome. Yes, that's great. No, he was not number one, so he's last. Okay, that's why I'm trying to teach him in my house, right? Ricky Bobby theology, okay? Listen, here's what I'm trying to tell you. We can amen scripture in church and go, amen, I would leave the 99 for the one, but would we really do it? Can I tell you why I don't think we care to count sometimes? Sometimes we don't care to count because I want to know why the one left. Well, wait, before I spend all this time, effort, and energy, can you tell me a little bit about the sheep? Like, 99 of them suck around. What was the one doing? For today's purposes, and please don't email me, email Pastor Josh. We're going to call the lost sheep Larry the Lamb. Okay? Because Mary had a little lamb. And the little lamb's name was Larry. Amen. Okay? What you want to know is, I want to know about Larry. I want to know what, what was Larry like? What was Larry doing? Did Larry get lost or did Larry run off? Was that Larry's own decisions? Because if he made that bed, he can lay in it. That was his own doing. I want to know, did somebody hurt Larry, though? Because then I will comfort. You want to know. <laughs> no, here's what you want to know. You want to know, was Larry good or was Larry bad? That's what you want to know. You're like, let me know, Right? Because I want to know, like, is he good enough to go after? Is he gifted enough? What was the sheep? Did the sheep have enough purpose? Isn't it interesting that in Scripture, nothing is left out that we needed, and nothing is provided that we didn't? Jesus doesn't give us the details about the sheep, because the details of the sheep's life doesn't indicate the direction of the shepherd's life. Has nothing to do with the definition of the sheep. Jesus doesn't even bring it up. Just says, hey, if one, if one is lost, don't you leave the 99 and go after the one? Care to count? Not just count. Like, I get it. You're like, uh, excuse me, sir. <laughs> I am uh, currently in a graduate program. I can count. No, no, no. I'm not talking about just one, two, three, four, five. I'm talking about in a society that counts people out quickly. Do we as believers count people back in? Do I count them out based on their sin, their proclivity, their propensity to do wrong? Or do I count them in based on what was counting me in grace and mercy? What does that look like for you and I today? Are we the ones that people can count on to count people back in? Or am I always raising a flag of justice against them? When's the last time? How many of you have ever heard of a gratitude list? Come on. All skate participation. You heard a gratitude list. I dare you sometime to write down a grace list. Ooh, all the stuff you did that Jesus has forgiven you for. Better get a long legal pad. You know how it's so easy for me to forgive other people? I start writing that list. I get like three lines down and I go, hey, it's not that big a deal. Like God loves you. He loves me, right? There's something about that. If I could be caring enough to be counted on to count others back in, maybe I would live a life that's a little bit uncomfortable. Care to count. Number two would be this, chase to connect. Chase to connect, right? So he says, first of all, you had 100 sheep. Now you got 99, you counted one left, and the one that left, name was? You're tracking, all right. Now he says, hey, but you know what you got to do? You don't just count, you don't just go, hey, hey, he left. Oh, man, let's throw a, a funeral for Larry. He's gone, right? says, leave the 99 in open country. This is interesting that the shepherd is painting for us a picture, the good shepherd. What it's like to be a shepherd who leaves 99 in an open pasture and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk it all for the one. Chase to connect. Several years ago, I have, I have two sons, 
my wife and I, Braxton's 10 and Grayson's 7, several years ago. He's about two years old. We were living in Alabama, and we were staying at this house, and it had a lot of rooms and a pool, and people were letting us stay there, and um, threw a party, you know, in Alabama. So, like barbecue bowl, we got out there, had a good old time, and, you know, everybody's having fun. It's a holiday, and uh, all of a sudden, I start looking around, and I don't see Grayson. And um, I'm like, man, that's weird. I don't know where Grayson's at. So I walked in the house and I asked my wife, I said, hey, babe, where's Grayson? And she said, he's with you. I said, oh, no, I know. I just want to make sure you knew that he was with me. That's great. So I did what any good husband would do. I went outside and I'm like, hey, Grayson, <laughs> Grayson. I'm whispering, right? I don't know where he's at. I've lost him. Never good to lose a child. Um, and so I'm looking everywhere. Can't find him. I, I mean, I'm checking a couple places. Then. After about 3.7 seconds, you know, parents, your heart race like a little bit harder and you go, man, where is he? What's going on? Like, I need to find him. And so then I start getting my buddy Drew and uh, Kilo. It's another story for another day. And I get them. I'm like, yo, we got we to gotta find my son. I don't know where he's at. And so we start doing uh, Grayson James Powell, full named him. When you get full named in the South, it's business, right? So I'm full named him. I can't find him anywhere. We started looking everywhere. We're looking in the dumbest places, the washer, the dryer, um, toy room, closets, behind the toilet, like just in case. We look everywhere. So we looked for like 30 minutes. We couldn't find him. So now I have one son named Braxton. And you got to chase to connect. And you're like, oh, no, please don't let that be real. Please don't let that be real. Please don't let that be the end of the story. Why? Because if I didn't look for him till I found him, it'd make me a bad. But so many Christians are comfortable being bad shepherds, bad friends. I looked, I tried. James, you understand. We had this falling out and I, 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 I text him on a Tuesday, 945. I never heard back. That was four weeks ago. And then I called him on slide dial, left a voicemail, hadn't heard back. I emailed their old account, Hotmail, to hadn't heard back, right? You know, but did you really chase connect? You know what we did? We did everything we could to find our son. I was looking everywhere. There's a sprawling property. We're walking across it. We're looking everywhere we can. I finally see this toy house in the middle of the driveway. Little plastic toy house. I run over to it. I rip the roof off the house. That, that looks way stronger than it was. I just ripped the roof off the house and... Sitting down in the house is little Grayson. <laughs> Squeeze him a little extra tight that day. Was I mad at Grayson? Why? Because he was being a two-year-old. But we as believers get mad at non-Jesus people for acting like non-Jesus people. No, James, they, they relapse again. They're drinking again. I'm not, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I dare you. I, didn't, I dare you next time you find out there at some bar in Minneapolis, you wait outside of it and you give them a drive. You go, hey, got us some Diet Cokes, bro. Let's take you home. I'm going to let you know you're not alone. When you know they're at their significant other's house, can we just keep it a buck? I apologize. I may never get to come back. I'm going to keep it real with you. When you know, when you know they're doing the dirty again, 
You show up, go, nah, you're not risking it again. You're not living this life again. I'm not going to let you keep sinning and keep asking forgiveness and making grace cheap. I'm going to chase to connect with you. I'm going to find you. I'm going to bring you back. Connection means this. Connection means I don't just find you, but I bring you. I find you, I bring you. Why do I need you involved in the local church? So you can find and bring people to church. So you can bring them. You're like, I don't really need church. Somebody in your life does, or you don't have the right somebody's in your life. If I chase to connect, it, it says this in the scripture, it says in Luke, it says that when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and brings it back to his home. Now, this is interesting. If you know a little bit about a shepherd, you would have known that a shepherd may have had to wound the sheep's hind leg so the sheep couldn't run off, which would have meant instead of dragging it in humiliation, the shepherd out of care puts it on its shoulders, gives it a view it can never have on his own. And walks it back. I'm meaning there's some things you got to do in your friend's life where you cut some things off so they can't keep running the same old games. Oh, you need to just be honest with them. You go, hey, you got to stop texting them. I've seen you text them. I saw you like their photo again. You know it's not good for you. You got to stop doing that. Hey, you need to delete the app. Hey, you need to get covenant eyes because you keep looking at porn on your phone and you need some accountability in your life. So it's often an indication that the spirit is speaking when the room gets tight like that. Pornography is no longer an add-on in ministry. It's no longer an add-on of things we can address with you. You have accessibility to it, but unfortunately what it actually means, it has accessibility to you. To trap you and control you. Some of you need to be a good enough friend to go, hey, I don't care if it's the norm for culture. It's not the norm for Christians. We're not going to do it. I'm going to wound you enough to say, hey, you know what you ought to do? You ought to get a brick phone for a little bit and say, no, no, I'm not going to do it. What would it like for us to be a friend enough to chase to connect? Number three, after we care to count, we chase to connect, we got to choose to celebrate. Choose to celebrate. Now, this part is interesting because if we're not careful as Christians, we start telling everybody's story as a little bit of their dirt. And because we told all their dirt, we can't bring them to the party and celebrate them. Oh, let me give you the whole story of what happens in, in the Gospel of Luke. This is the way Jesus is wrapping up the parable. And he says this. And when he finds it, joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. This part is so interesting. Please leave that verse up for a moment. He says, I found my lost sheep. I can't get you to rejoice with me if I've removed all expectation of a return, amen, from them. <laughs> right? So if I, if I got my lost sheep, just be my lost sheep just for a moment. Is it Donovan? Yes, okay, come on. All right. So got Donovan. I'm not putting you on my shoulders. It's not happening. Okay? So I got my lost sheep, right? Now, I got my lost sheep, and I'm, I'm bringing him home. I'm bringing him to church. It's so exciting. And, and we show up to church, and I show up, and I, I got my friend. That's where you insert your name. Josh, okay. I got my friend Josh, okay? So I got Donovan and I got Josh. Now what Donovan doesn't know is I've been having a prayer time with Josh where I'm telling Josh all of the horrific, humiliating sins that Donovan's been doing. Oh, it's awful. You have been sinning so bad. You're so good at being bad, right? So we show up to church one weekend and I forget to give Josh the preamble. So we show up and Josh goes, dude, 
Donovan, we got to pray for James's friend. He's been doing all this sin, and he lists it, and Donovan realizes that Donovan's the sinner that Josh has been praying for. How many of us are using prayer time as gossip time, and we're telling half of a story? No, none of that's true about Donovan. Donovan, you got a great purpose on your life. It's obvious. God's got a touch on you. He's going to use you, all right? A half story is a horrible story to tell. If I'm only telling the bad stuff about the people I want to bring to church to boost my, look how I got a horrible sinner to church today, you forgot how horrible sinner you are. You didn't, you didn't bring yourself. Somebody brought you. Somebody brought them. Jesus brought them because it's not the great option. It's the great commission to live uncomfortable. So I don't tell a half story. So if somebody asks me, Josh goes, dude, where's, where's your friend Donovan? And I know Donovan's been doing all that bad, dirty stuff. You know what I do? I go, hey, man, his story's not over yet. Let's keep praying. Why? Because it's not my story to tell. Oh, look at me. I need every eye on me. I'm going to wrap up on time. I promise. I know I got like one minute. Look at me. When somebody asks you something about somebody else's life, if it's not your story, you say, it's not my story to tell. Everybody stand on your feet. It's not my story to tell. Okay? All right. We're wrapping up. promise. We're going to be quick. It's not my story to tell. But scripture says this in Revelation, they overcome the enemy by the blood of the lamb and the word of their, a testimony is a full story about all the sin that God conquered through grace. So if I tell somebody's bad stuff without Jesus doing his stuff, I remove the power of their testimony. I dare you this week, NCU, to get involved in a local church, to show up, to take a friend, to care enough to count, to choose to connect, and then say, I'm going to celebrate no matter what it takes. Why? Because I recognize that one lost soul coming back to Jesus is worth all of it. He drops the mic on the Pharisees, the religious people, with this line. He says, don't you know there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents? Repentance is not, God, I'm sorry. It's another message for another day. It's a turning. It's a removing of that old thing. Repents. Then over 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. I'm closing one story. A couple months ago, I was driving to the airport. My wife, she's got a Bronco. I wanted to drive it. And I was feeling a little country that day, so I put my seat back put my hand on the wheel, throw on some country music. I heard this song I had never heard before. It's by this guy named Tim McGraw. And it was this song called Standing Room Only. Oh, man. It was like a hymn. I was listening to it, and it's like talking about how when you get to the end of your life and you die, and at your funeral, it'd be standing room only. I mean, guys, I'm weeping. I'm just, tears pouring down my face. I'm like, yes, I'm going to live my life in such a way. I'm such a good man. One day, one day my funeral will be packed with people who just say he loved God and he loved his family. Amen. And God like hip checked me and goes, no. And I go, oh, God, I'm having a moment. <laughs> Excuse me. And he goes, no. Why would you spend your whole life to pack a room where you'll never be? When I gave you a great commission and a calling to pack heaven where you'll forever be. I'm asking NCU today, 
professors, students, faculty, and guests to make a commitment to make heaven more crowded. Why? Because it's where we're going to live forever. This is temporary. It's this much of our life. Don't wait. Don't wait to start the Great Commission one day or you'll end up like 80% of churchgoers today. You know that 98%, 82% of people said they go to church if somebody invited them. The problem is only 2% of people who go to church today will invite a friend. 2%! What if, what if we say we'll change that statistic? I'm going to get my degree here, but I'm also going to earn an internal degree to be a discipler. I'm going to be a disciple maker. I'm going to chase lost sheep. I'm going to make heaven more crowded. I'm going to ask you all over this room to bow your head, close your eyes. The band's about to sing. I'm going to give you a moment to consecrate this before the Lord. But I'm going to ask you if you want to make a decision today to commit. Listen, not you feel something. If you feel something, keep your hand down. I don't need your heaven. I don't need your hand. Heaven does. Heaven's looking for a commitment from you today to say, here I am. Here I am, God. I'll commit. You're not making a commitment to a man, a college, a university. You're making a commitment today before God to say, God, I'll receive the Great Commission. I will go. I will start. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Today. Put somebody in my path. I'm ready. If that's you, on the count of three, you're saying, I'm making a decision to be a disciple maker for the rest of my life. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. I'm not going to stand you up. I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to bring you forward. One, two, three, if that's you. God, I thank you for every single person in this room. Those who are choosing today to be a disciple maker. I'm going to ask you, before I finish that prayer, would you put your hands down? You're here today. No one's looking around. And you say, James, if I'm honest, I wanted to say yes to that, but I don't know that I actually have a relationship with Jesus, and today I need to say yes to him. I need to give my life to him. I want to repent. I want to turn my back on sin and commit to him. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you are? I'm looking. Come on. Yep. Anybody else? Yep. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Wave it at me real quick, and I'm going to pray. Oh, come on. That's awesome. You can put your hand down. I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you, wow, that you interrupt a moment like that to bring home a lost sheep. We just say thank you. We thank you for the moment to say yes to you, to come back to your family. There's so much celebration in heaven right now, and we join with heaven, and we say welcome home, welcome to the family. And now I pray for every single person that we would begin to make heaven more crowded. Decide today to be disciple makers. We would go into all the world, to the uncomfortable places to live the calling that you have for us. We reject comfort. We lean into calling today and we pray all these things in the name above every name, the name of our hope and liberating King in Jesus' name, amen.